watches a scary movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time for the video version on YouTube, which can be accessed at youtube.com slash C slash Theron Reynolds Scary Movie. Or you can listen to the audio-only version half an hour earlier at 8 p.m. on your favorite podcasting platforms. But keep in mind, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, you're going to get a chance to see the other reviews I put up as well, too. Because while I do an episode every Wednesday, I do a lot more reviews uh, during the week. Might be TV shows, might be movies. Who knows what it is, but I do a lot more reviews during the week that you can check out as well Two, uh, for example, this week I had a review on one of Shudder's latest releases, Sissy, and I'm also going to be talking uh, episode one of Chucky tomorrow as well, too. That's right. Season two premiere of Chucky is finally here, y'all, and I'm sure it's amazing by the time that you're watching this now, but I'm going to have my review of episode one of season two of Chucky going up as well, too, as well as a review coming of my best friend's exorcism as well. So, Make sure you're subscribing to the YouTube channel so you can catch my reviews of other things going up that are not included in my main episode. Usually, along with a review or two, I try to talk uh, movie news or TV news that's been breaking as well, too. And we have quite a bit to talk about here tonight. So, all my links, social media is here on the other side of me there. You can follow me on Twitter. That's where I love having my horror conversations. I post a lot of my letterbox list there all the time. So make sure you're following me at uh, uh, on Twitter. Excuse me. Uh, my screen name is Axdew, A-X-D-E-W. And then, of course, uh, make sure that you're joining into the Facebook group as well, too. Because if you're in the Facebook group, you can find out about our watch parties. We usually try to watch something every Wednesday. And, of course, during the month of uh, September and October, we do our spooky movie marathon. We're watching stuff every day, all day. Today, for example, we watched all of season one of Chucky. So, your chance to join up the Discord and hang with me and some friends and watch some scary things. So, what are we talking about tonight? First of all, I finally received it. I pre-ordered it the moment I heard about it because it's absolutely not just one of the best vampire movies that's ever been done, but it's one of my absolute favorite horror movies that's out there. Fright Night finally got a 4K release and it is glorious. This is the third, third copy of Fright Night that I now own. My copies of horror movies are just going up and up and up there. Um, but I own the original DVD release of Fright Night, which already was badass because I love that movie. And then I own the uh, that limited edition Twilight, uh, Twilight Entertainment version of the Blu-ray they released that had a few more special features on it as well, too. That thing cost me an arm and a leg years back when it was very hard to get a copy of it because it was basically an import. But now, everywhere, we have the 4K version of Fright Night out, and man, does it look beautiful. The best that Fright Night has ever looked on physical media here. It also comes bundled with a Blu-ray copy of the film as well, too as well as a digital copy of it. And it comes with a third disc full of special features as well, which is jammed packed with a lot of great stuff. Now, we have returning features already that we've seen before on here. So for example, we have the uh, the Weekend of Hell panel with uh, Amanda Burris and Steven Jeffries. Um, we have the behind the scenes footage. We have the trailer. We have the Fright Night reunion panel. We have the Shock to You Drop presents choice cuts with director and writer Tom Holland amongst other things but some of the new features that we're actually getting on this is that 
Tom Holland actually is uh, is showing us storyboards from the one deleted scene that uh, uh, that was cut from the movie there. So these are his personal storyboards that he's showing us here from it. Uh, there's also an alternate uh, trailer that's here as well too that we get to watch. You have all your commentaries from the previous releases. There is the 35th anniversary script read, which was done actually back in 2020, if I believe, to raise money for the Michigan Democratic National, uh, uh, the Michigan Democratic Party, uh, that includes uh, pretty much the good chunk of the cast that is still uh, still alive at this point there, along with some special guest stars, including Mark Hamill, Rosario Dawson, Jason Patrick, and more. Uh, it's so, so good. Uh, I'm actually just in the midst of watching this thing because I remember, I think I watched bits and pieces of it uh, a few years back when it came out, and but I didn't finish the whole thing because it's literally an entire script read. And y'all know, a lot of times when we get script read videos, usually it's only a handful of scenes. It's very truncated down. It's not a lot. And this is the entire movie. So I'm working myself through that right now. It's so excellent. I'm excited. Uh, but y'all have to check this 4K disc out. It is amazing. Physical media is not dead. And we're still getting great releases for horror, especially right now. So buy it. You can get it at most retailers. Check out Fright Night on 4K. Uh, I would talk about the Scream 2 4K I got right now, but I have not had a chance to crack that open yet. I'm excited because y'all know Scream 2, one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. Got to interview star Jerry O'Connell earlier this year and talk some Scream 2 with him as well. Um, but I'm sure that looks fantastic. I can't wait to crack that open. I'll probably talk to y'all about that one next week. But uh, Fright Night 4K, make sure to check that one out here, y'all. So... I got two reviews that we're going to be talking tonight because we are talking the season premiere of Interview with the Vampire, AMC's new adaptation of the classic Anne Rice novel. And I sp am specific about season premiere because they've already announced that they've greenlit the show for a second season. So we know this is not going to be the only time that we're seeing Lestat and Louis and Claudia and Daniel. We got more stories coming. But let's talk about this take here on the classic novel. So, we're going to ignore the Interview with the Vampire movie, because I absolutely love that, but I don't want to keep doing comparisons back and forth with it. I think it might be a little bit easier just to really abscond from that as much as we can. What's interesting right from the jump is that we know here with the interview from the vampire uh, interview with the vampire TV show, excuse me, um, that right off the jump we're getting a bit of a difference because uh, uh, Louis de Point de Lac is African American. He's black in this version, as is his obvious entire family, which is very interesting to take because we know the interview with the vampire has always been a bit of a, t a taboo kind of subject, basically. In vampire uh, vampire media, for the longest time, it's always been very sensual, it's always been very sexual, but, you know, you would be hard to say that we really represent a lot, uh, anything other than, like, you know, guys going for girls, basically. It's a lot of male vampires biting women or women vampires biting men, but a lot of filmmakers have really tried to stay away from, you know, like, uh, like uh, I don't know, like uh, pansexuality, homosexuality, which... If you think about it, vampires are alive for a long, long time. Of course, most of them are probably pansexual at that point. But we take it a step further. Because with Louis being black, that adds just another level to the kind of uh, the kind of looks that all these people will get and that these characters, uh, the, the world that these characters are living in. You know, 
We are still taking place here in uh, in New Orleans, but Louis now has more uh, more consternation. He has more looks towards him. He's not given the same status as Louis might have had in the books, honestly, because again, he is a black man in this, so there's even more scrutiny placed upon him. As well, Louis seems to be running a brothel, basically. He, that seems to be his trade here, is that he collects women who have nobody that uh, nobody to support them. They can't work for themselves. And he basically gets them into a brothel and gives them work doing that. They get room, they get food. But of course, they're working as prostitutes. And it's a very interesting, a very interesting uh, job choice he's taken. It's helped out his family greatly at this point. But we also know that... Um, Louis is also dealing with uh, dealing with having his brother, who unfortunately Paul, played by Stephen Norfleet, uh, is a bit touched in the head there. And we know in the book that a lot of what sets Louis Ford into his meeting with Lestat and wanting to become a vampire is the fact that his brother died. And in this, we get to see their kind of strained relationship because, you know, he's, he's a bit touched, he's a bit off in the head, and Louis just trying to always provide for him while the family is kind of trying to think of sending him away, which Louis doesn't want to do, and ultimately ends to, unfortunately, also him becoming a vampire by the end of this episode. Now, Lestat is obviously there, played by Sam Reed, uh, who you might have seen in a few different things here now, uh, like he was in the Hatfields and McCoys, uh, he was in uh, uh, Lambs of God, he's been in a few things here, and is very, very captivating, and very has a very commanding presence on screen as Lestat. And to back up a little bit, they take a very interesting approach to the source material because in Interview with the Vampire, the story is Louis is talking with Daniel Malloy, a young reporter, and basically telling him of his journey as a vampire. Now we know, ultimately, the reason why he's telling him is because he was going to feed on Daniel, but he also wanted to try to like impart a lesson about like the dangers of vampirism and why this is a gift that nobody really actually wants. And of course, that ends with after telling Daniel his entire story. Uh, uh, Daniel still wants to be a vampire, doesn't understand Louis's point. And Louis scares him off, and then Lestat attacks and turns Daniel into a vampire, which basically ends the novel. That's kind of like the end of the story there. But we're given a different telling of this, to where we're shown that Louis and Daniel had a meeting decades prior because this is set in modern day this is set in 2022 but louis and daniel had a meeting decades prior to where those events played out where louis attempted to tell daniel some of his story and again daniel didn't really understand louis took it as disrespect and attacked him it wasn't lestat's involvement this time louis attacked daniel didn't turn him and then that was it there was no interaction between those two for decades until louis looked up daniel again sent him the tapes of their interview and basically wanted to get a redo. He wanted to try to record this interview one more time. And so now we're getting the events of Interview of the Vampire told through a modern lens because we know that Louis is still alive. We have no idea about Lestat at this point, but we're going back and telling these events here. And it's very interesting because throughout the course of this first episode, we're, show, we're shown that no matter how much money Louis has, no matter what uh, what level of status that he has as well too, he is still a black man in America at the time, which doesn't really afford him that much with the people around him. He has respect from some people, but overall, he's still uh, there are still folks trying to take advantage of him. There's still folks to look down on him simply because he's a black man. And Lestat 
is immediately just smitten with Louis. He's looking for a reason to really not, not to continue to live, but Lestat is bored. And with so much heartache and heartbreak and loss in his life, he's just looking for a connection and he immediately fixates upon Louis. And the episode goes more into explaining how, you know, Louis is not upfront about his sexuality. That's a big part of the episode is that Louis tells Daniel that, you know, back then, uh, you know, he wasn't sure about his sexuality. And also, it's not something that will widely be accepted. Today's day and age, perfectly fine in 2022. That's okay. And we see that Louis and Lestat have this connection there, but Louis keeps trying to fight it off. One, because he detects something evil, obviously, about Lestat. Various times throughout the episode, um, he's using his vampiric powers to kind of talk to him while others can't know, others can't hear, moving extremely fast. But he's sharing these things with Louis because he wants him in his afterlife. And while Louis is uh he, he's timid about it obviously he's trying to be very care careful and cautious at the same time he can't really fight these feelings that he has inside of him because it's very clear very clear that louis has a lot going on and he has all these battles with him within himself when it comes to his brother when it comes to his family when it comes to being a businessman when it comes to his own sexuality and i love the fact that they really do expand louis as this very complicated character because it, obviously, in the books, we get a chance to learn much, much more about him. But this characterization of Louis probably makes him one of the most sympathetic versions of the character that we've seen. Because, of course, there is the interview with the vampire movie with Brad Pitt portraying the role. And it's a fantastic job that Brad Pitt does. It's a fantastic characterization. But you can only do so much in two hours. The fact that we're getting in this full season means we're going to get to really break down all of these issues that Louis has that are obviously going to continue to be problems even after he's a vampire because vampire or not that doesn't stop you from being an african uh from being black that doesn't stop you from uh being you know being in a uh, relationship with another man at that point either back in this time so i'm very interested to see how this is all going to play out this is a bloody show for sure um it was very cool seeing the way that they show the vampires and their abilities as well um I don't really want to compare it to Twilight because that's a terrible comparison. It's also a horrible depiction of vampires in my personal vision, uh, per personal uh, uh, opinion, which some of you might like Twilight, and that's okay. But I just mean that, like, they're incredibly pretty. You know, they're incredibly pristine. And depending on what media you're watching, vampires might not be presented that way. And they're very much portrayed as if they were almost porcelain, which is, you know, a nice reminder or reference there to Queen of the Damned. But they're very much portrayed as in they're like these just very delicate, like beautiful creatures. Like uh, the Lestat, Sam Reed's Lestat is just absolutely beautiful. He's perfect. And those are terms that are used in the book a lot. And even Louis when he is, uh, you know, reminding Daniel that he is a vampire and he's lifting his shirt and he's getting burnt a little bit, um, when the bitings are happening throughout it, it's all presented in a very beautiful manner. Up until we see Lestat commit some of his violence as a vampire, and then we see the vicious side of how vampires can be as well, too. And again, the season premiere doesn't waste time and trying to like hide that from us we're going to get to see vampires right away in their natural element and it's presented in such a great way now the episode ends with louis being turned and that's setting the stage for their adventures together alone when claudia joins them and what could be happening in the present day as well too my hopes for this series is that 
even if it does manage to go on for let's say four to five seasons that they manage to tell the entire story of louis because this is clearly louis arc but if sam reed does decide to stay on or sign on for let's say a decade at this point i hope that, that means we would then get adaptations of the vampire lestat queen of the dam uh the body uh body thief all that stuff i'm really hoping that that's what we're going to end up getting to see over the course of this series or this universe as well too because Anne rice uh before she passed away was very much involved in the development of this series so we're gonna hope that we get a lot of really good out of this a lot of good mileage but check it out episode one is on amc right now if you have amc plus you can check out the first two episodes so enjoy that and i'm gonna try to make sure i'm coming back regularly with reviews and thoughts on our episodes of season one now that moves me over to my main review tonight folks we are talking hocus pocus Two, yeah, Disney is finally here with its follow-up to the early 90s classic that starred Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy, about three witches to return back from the dead to eat the souls of children so they can live forever. So, for the longest time, there had been all these rumors about a Hocus Pocus 2 coming out. We had fake posters, fake involvement, you know, all, all parts of the cast, whether it was the witches or the kids, talking about how they would love to do another sequel. The original director, Kenny Ortega, who did um, uh, High School Musical and all that as well, too. Again, everybody was talking about how they would love to do another one, but there, for one reason or another, it just never happened. There was even a book that was published, which was the follow-up to the original movie. But we're finally getting Hocus Pocus 2, and jumping right into things here, I think we have to also admit and we have to acknowledge the fact that horror is one of the only genres to where you can come back to a franchise after X amount of years, and it can still absolutely work. And make no mistake, you can say what you want to, Hocus Pocus 2 is supposed to be a horror movie. It might be a horror movie for kids, but it is still supposed to be a horror movie. And that's why I think it's okay that we're coming back, you know, um, almost 30 years later at this point to get our second film. And right off the jump, the ladies still look absolutely fantastic. Uh, like, they're, they're still fitting into those fantastic dresses the same way that they did uh, in, in the early 90s. But even if they did it, that's not really a point in the least bit at all because Hocus Pocus 2 is still a delight it's still an absolute charm now the story takes the uh takes the turn that we get with a lot of franchise films these days to where we try to build a bit of sympathy and maybe turn our villains into a bit of anti-hero type of twist with it because we have to see the background of the sanderson sisters and how they weren't originally evil like they were they were troublemakers and they were a bit nefarious in salem but what pushed them into witchcraft was that the mayor of the town, Mayor Thawne, uh, was basically or, or uh, was basically trying to separate them and force Win uh, Winnie into a marriage that she just didn't want to be in in the first place. I say uh, Thawne, it's Trask, uh, Mayor Trask, or the Reverend Trask. And uh, I, I, I thought it was very interesting to take this approach with it because... What worked so well about the first movie was that they're not really sympathetic characters. We're introduced to the Sanderson sisters as they are murdering Zachary uh, Zachary Binks' sister, Emily Binks, as well as, you know, later on there, that they're trying to kill Danny, they're trying to kill Max, they're trying to kill Allison. Like, they're literally trying to kill children. We don't have any kind of sympathy for them in the least bit. And this film obviously gives us that backstory on why they are the way they are. That, again, they were kind of driven from Salem, 
and they run into another witch, the mother witch, played by Hannah Waddingham from uh, Ted Lasso, so you might know that show, who basically gives them book, the spell book that Winnie uses in the first movie, to gain their magical powers and wreak havoc among Salem. And, of course, this is when these girls are all young. We know that Winifred is set uh, as 16 in this early part of the movie, which means her sisters are probably not that much younger. But we're given the idea that, again, they were kind of forced into witchcraft because of all these bad things that are happening in Salem. And, of course, that doesn't change the fact that they then started murdering children and then they were executed and brought back with the black flame candle in the first movie. So, it's been 30 years since then. The town of Salem is still celebrating Halloween the same way. They still enjoy it, witches are a big thing. And the Sanderson sisters' house itself had actually been turned into a magic shop, a tourist attraction in Salem. Because remember, in the original film, it's kind of set a bit further away. Uh, it's not really in the town. But clearly, Salem has expanded since then. And now it's kind of one of the, uh, one of the main focal points of Salem itself. And we see there that we have uh, Gilbert, played by Sam Richardson, who runs the old magic shop, the home of the Sanderson sisters, and is telling folks, you know, that like the entire story of them and what they went through and uh, going through this entire legend of them while also simultaneously setting up our main characters here who are going to have to deal with the Sanderson sisters. And our main characters, Becca and Izzy, played by Whitney Peake and Becca es uh, Escobedo, play a group of friends who they've recently lost their close friend cassie played by lila buckingham who is now hanging out with her new boyfriend and all of his friends they feel ostracized from that and due to their yearly halloween tradition of watching horror movies and trying to cast a few spells here and there they are unfortunately set up by gilbert to resurrect the sanderson sisters who are once again not only looking to survive the night by possibly eating the souls of children but now it goes a step further that the Sanderson sisters are looking to enact revenge upon the trash who caused all this to begin with. So right off the jump, we know it's a bit more of a sympathetic story to them. The Sanderson sisters are also uh, portrayed for at least half of the movie and definitely more of a nicer sympathetic uh, light to where they're not really hunting children. They see that all these people love the Sanderson sisters. They love the lore of them. They're, and they're just like basking in this glow which could be enough to really turn them away from their evil roots and it's also very interesting that you know in the first movie uh like max plays a game where he, or max tries to play a trick on them to where he's trying to say he's a powerful you know wizard and that he has all this magic and stuff various times throughout the movie and obviously blows up in his face multiple times here but with Becca and Izzy, the thing is that they actually are into witchcraft. So it serves a very interesting point because then it becomes these girls are in the same position that really the Sanderson sisters were as well. So the movie becomes the where the girls are trying to stop the Sanderson sisters from completing their plan of surviving the night and becoming all powerful with the certain spell that's within book by obviously keeping them busy. But this spell requires the blood of a Trask. And the Sanderson sisters don't care if it's the mayor, played by Tony Hale, or if it's his daughter, Cassie, which again, played by Lila Buckingham. And so even though they're at odds with their friend Cassie, uh, Becca and Izzy are trying to make sure that she stays alive and survives out through the night. 
This, of course, brings back Billy Butcherson as well because Billy Butcherson is a key part of Winifred's spell of becoming all-powerful and Gilbert and Billy are teamed up throughout the movie to gather these ingredients, which, of course, Billy doesn't know what they're being utilized for, even though Gilbert actually does. Now, there's more musical numbers in this. We knew there was going to be because, again, Bette Midler is a recording artist, and that was a big part of the original movie. I put a spell on you, Sarah Jessica's Parker, Come Little Children, and we do get tidbits of Come Little Children. That's actually a recurring theme in this film, that it's the only thing that Sarah's really good at. But we actually get more musical numbers in it as well. And at first, I won't lie, I admit I was a bit annoyed by it. I am not a fan of Blondie's one way or another. I don't think I've ever actually enjoyed that song. The only time I think I did was in the Rugrats movie when they had Angelica doing it. But I'm just not a fan of that song. So I wish there could have been a different song choice. But the ladies are just right on point with their singing and dancing throughout the entire film. There's a great bit to where, kind of like the Halloween party in the first one, they end up at another Halloween party in Salem. And, uh, you know, they're doing, like, who's the best Sanderson sisters. And they uh, there's drag queens competing. There's the hot girls competing as them as well, too. And it's just fantastic. The, the humor in this is, is amazing. Um, I will say, though, I think a lot of people were really worried that this would be Disney Channel-ified to where a lot of, like, those live-action Disney movies in the 90s were still very, like, older skewed with a lot of the humor, maybe some of the language as well. And these days, we don't get a lot of that. Typically, anything that kind of seems like it's coming for Disney Plus or even the Disney Channel seems like it's going to be for a very, very kiddie audience. Like, I use Boy Meets World and Girl Meets World as an example to where Girl Meets World was not allowed to be, be this older skewing series. So, unfortunately, it didn't appeal to a lot of people. Hocus Pocus 2 rides that line to where there is some adult humor. We still get the typical virgin jokes in here as well. Um, and it is about a lot of death as well too. But it doesn't really go over that line like the original one did, which made it, I think, a little bit more enduring to a lot of us. Because whether you think Hocus Pocus is a good movie or not, it's a movie that a lot of us grew up on and we have a really great bout of nostalgia for. This will help reactivate that nostalgia. I, it's in no way better than the first film, but it's not offensive. It's a good companion piece to it. And like we've gotten with so many other sequels or remakes these days, it's the hocus pocus for our generation. Because I do think that for anybody that's a younger age that watches this movie, they'll go back and watch the first one now and have a greater appreciation for it. Because I really do enjoy the first hocus pocus. And I enjoyed this as well too. Now, it does leave open for a sequel, just like the first movie left open for a sequel as well. Does it need one? That's hard to say. As long as it took us to get this one, the good thing is that if the response to this is really well, I can imagine them getting this one quicker. And as a spoiler alert, our only returning cast members from the original film are the Sanderson sisters and then um, Doug Jones who returns as Billy, But uh, Billy Butcherson again. Beyond that, we don't get uh, Max, we don't get Allison, we don't get Danny back in this at all. And uh, we know that Thora Birch, who played Danny, had an interest in coming back, and I guess she was originally in the script, but either timing couldn't work out or she might have turned it down. So I think a lot of us might want to see a third Hocus Pocus just because, one, we want to see some of these cast members back, but then, two, based on what they kind of set up over the course of the movie where the sanderson sisters are a bit misunderstood and not to spoil it but we spend a lot of that movie i think hoping and wishing that maybe they might turn good at that point because again they have hannah whittingham in this and for a minute you think that she might be like the big bad in this and then she's not but maybe a third movie could be about this new group of kids 
their new coven, because they are a coven by the end of this film, and our old protagonists showing up to team up with the Sanderson sisters to stop a bigger threat. I would absolutely be on board with that, uh, getting some redemption there for uh, for the Sanderson sisters, because it very clearly seems to be setting up that they deserve a little bit of redemption. So, you can check out Hocus Pocus 2 right now on Disney+, Plus. but tell me in the comments, y'all, if you watched this, did you enjoy this? And go a step further. I'm curious about whether or not you actually enjoyed the first film, too, because what's interesting, and what is a load of shit, honestly, is that so many people have seemingly been coming out of the woodwork in the last year saying that Hocus Pocus is a bad movie. No one's calling it amazing by any means necessary. It's not going to win any awards there, but Hocus Pocus is such a good movie. It's a really fun film that takes me back to my childhood, and I realize nostalgia plays a good part in this, but come on, y'all. That doesn't mean it's bad, though, either. So tell me in the comments, are you a fan of Hocus Pocus 1? Did you like the follow-up that we got with Hocus Pocus 2? Let me know that here, y'all. Don't forget to like this video. Make sure to share and subscribe as well. We got more reviews coming. Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, and share. My name is T. We've been talking scary movies. Stay scared. Thank <laughs> you.